You're listening to The Living Word with Danny Hodges of Calvary Chapel Fellowship in St. Pete. His disciples didn't wash their hands before they eat. It wasn't a washing so much to cleanse dirt, bacteria from their hands. It was a religious washing. And they were teaching that if you don't do the religious washing every time before you eat, you become defiled. You've committed sin. Jesus said to them, he said, you not only do those things, you wash pots and kettles in religious ways. And you think by washing them in this religious way, it's going to make the pot and what's in it holy. And he said, you do many things like that. Religion is the opposite of faith. Religion says that we must do certain things and follow certain rules to be right with God. In other words, religion says that man can somehow earn a relationship with the Lord. However, the Bible says that there's nothing that we can do in our own strength to be saved. The only way to heaven is by faith in Jesus Christ. In today's message, Pastor Danny exposes the folly of religiosity. He points out that followers of Jesus don't obey a set of rules. Instead, Christians obey the Spirit's leading out of a relationship with God. Now here's Pastor Danny with today's edition of The Living Word from the book of Acts, chapter 3. I decree that the people of any nation or language who say anything against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be cut into pieces and their houses be turned into piles of rubble for no other God can save in this way. Except for the being cut into pieces and their houses be turned into piles of rubble. I wish we had a law like that in our land because three men were courageous, courageous, And had a warrior-like mentality. We know our God is able to save us, but even if he does not, we want you to know we will not bow. And they did not bow. And God used it, not only to rescue them, but even more important than that, to be a witness that they never would have been had they not been willing to disobey an authority that in obeying that authority would mean they're disobeying God. Second word of advice, and this is a real switch here. Don't misrepresent Jesus Christ. Don't misrepresent him. I found this online. I don't know how I came across it. It's from a Christian young lady. I don't know her. She says, I was talking on the phone with a friend who I had recently added on Facebook. She had looked at my bio and something about my Facebook account struck her as odd. She said, I was surprised to see that you're a Christian. I nervously smiled on the other end of the line and asked her why. She said, well, I don't normally like Christians, but I like you. We talked a little more in depth about the issue, and she let me know that most of the Christians she had met in her life had made her feel badly about herself, that it made her feel judged and not good enough. I thought about what she said, and I couldn't help but feel like 
Jesus has been so poorly represented by many of his followers. I'm not saying that I'm a perfect Jesus follower. I'm not. But if we, those who follow the teachings of Jesus, represented him authentically, the word Christian or Christ followers possibly would elicit more of a positive response at times than a negative one. There was a song I used to sing, she says, in Sunday school when I was little called, They Will Know We Are Christians By Our Love. My hope is that this will be a true statement in the lives of all who follow the teachings of Jesus. The Bible says God is love. That means that Jesus, as a human being, was the greatest personification of love ever in human form. Think about how he dealt with people. Matthew, the tax collector, condemned, looked down upon by the religious elite of the day. They would not hang out with him. They would make him feel less than them. And he goes by the tax collector's booth and he says, Matthew, come, follow me. And he gets up and follows him. Matthew ends up being so amazed that, this, that he was accepted in that way that he throws a party for Jesus, invites all his friends. All his friends are, are like him or worse. And the religious elite condemn Matthew and Jesus and everybody at the party. The sinful woman at the home of Simon the Pharisee, he's hosting Jesus for a dinner party. In the middle of that dinner, woman breaks in and people know, they know her reputation. We aren't told what she has done, but everybody knows she's a sinful woman. She begins to wet Jesus's feet with her tears, wipe them with her hair. Simon is thinking, if this man were a prophet, he would know what kind of woman she is, and he would not allow her to do that. And Jesus takes the opportunity to try to teach Simon and his disciples as well. And then he turns to the woman. You know what he said to this sinful woman? Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. The Samaritan woman at the well. In that culture, Jews had no dealings with Samaritans, and Jesus violates the cultural norm. He goes through Samaria, first of all. He sees the woman. He encounters her. The disciples are at McDonald's getting lunch. They come back, and they're surprised to find him not only talking to a woman, but talking to a Samaritan woman. And he starts the conversation this way. Would you give me a drink? That was a very kind thing to do and unheard of in that culture. Yes, he confronted her. Yes, he revealed for her, her her living situation. He says to her, go call your husband. I don't have a husband. You're right, and you don't have a husband, the one you're living with, because you've had five husbands, and the one you're with is not your husband. But he didn't say it in a, in a self-righteous, condemning way. It was reality. That's her life. And she was so taken aback. And she goes into the place where she lives, and she tells the whole town, and they come out to hear this guy. She didn't go to hide. She didn't go saying, oh, he just, he just lit me up, man. He just exposed me. She was exposed, but boy, did she feel love. She felt love like she never felt, because she's, she's talking to and listening to the epitome of love, the personification of love in human form. Zacchaeus. Everybody despised Zacchaeus. He's a chief tax collector. A little short guy. I picture him as Danny DeVito. You know, I've always have. I just, I just can't get it out of my mind. Probably looked like Danny DeVito. He can't see Jesus, so he climbs this tree. Jesus trees him. 
comes up to the tree, Zacchaeus, you come down. I got to go to your house today. That was unheard of. Religious people are going, religious leaders are going, what? what? You're going. Listen, Jesus was the epitome of love. The only people that felt condemned or that's not even the right word. The, the people that felt the most uncomfortable around him were the religious hypocrites because he exposed their hypocrisy and they didn't like it. Everybody else loved to be around him. They, they, they were hordes of people all around him all the time. They wanted to hear him. They wanted to receive from him. He was full of grace, full of mercy. He was love. And he is love. Let me say another thing about this and not misrepresenting Jesus. Jesus was not a legalist. He was not a legalist. What's a legalist? Well, legalists can come in different forms. A legalist can be somebody who, who's taking the law and they're stressing and overemphasizing the letter of the law versus the spirit of the law. What's the spirit of the law? Jesus said, all the law and the prophets hang on two commandments. Love God, love your neighbor. Love God, love your neighbor. Love God, love your neighbor. That's it. But sometimes legalists uh, don't even have a basis of truth about what they believe to be righteous and right. For example, I grew up believing that it was a sin to go fishing on Sunday. Thank God I found out that's not true. (laughs) I'd go today except for two reasons. One, it's too windy, and two, I'm going to Orlando with my wife. Praise the Lord. Years ago, our first place of meeting at Calvary Chapel uh, was a place called the Sons of Italy Lodge. It's no longer the Sons of Italy Lodge, but the building is still there. It's 54th Avenue on the other side of 66th Street. Across the street is a place that's still there. And if you're a part of this ministry called Camp Freedom, I'm not trying to offend you. It just is what it is. I don't know what they believe today. But years ago, I found out some of the things they believe because we had to use one of their rooms across the street at Camp Freedom for our children's ministry. And so I got to know the people that ran the place. They were nice, but I found out over a very short amount of time, they were very legalistic, very legalistic. And I'm not making this up. I'm not making this up. They believe, they believe that if you wore blue jeans, you are going to hell. They believe that. They didn't believe in jewelry on women. They believe that was sinful. If I remember right, they didn't believe in makeup for women. Thank God we don't teach that here. And I do not believe that in my home. I'll accept my wife without makeup, but I love the makeup. Uh, Jerry Falwell said, if the barn needs painting, paint it. I'm not only going to Orlando, I'm going to Orlando fast. There are all kinds of issues that come up in this thing of, uh, of what could be legalistic. There's some people that say, you know, it's wrong, it's sinful to have a tattoo. Is it wrong to, for somebody to have a tattoo? I got one. It says Wendy. It says Wendy. The guy who did it, he's got a tattoo on I think his right arm, name of an old girlfriend. It didn't work out, and so he tattooed Void through her name. <laughs> I told him, I said, I want you to put Wendy here, but listen, I'm confident there's not going to be a Void here, all right? Maybe I killed my husband or something like that, but no, 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 just kidding. That's the best thing I ever did. I mean, because I lost two wedding rings. I won't lose this one. If I, I'll lose my finger before I lose that wedding ring. Praise the Lord. Sometimes it's hair length. You know, it was when I first became a Christian. And uh, boy, the Baptist I came from, they'd be really proud of me today. 
Because they thought if your hair, a uh, guy's hair touches his ears, that's sinful. They thought I was a self-taught drummer, a rock and roll drummer. And uh, I gave up my drums because they told me I couldn't play drums anymore. That was sinful. Because if I played drums, it would conjure up demons from Africa and make, make these Baptist people want to dance. God forbid that those Baptists would ever dance, you know. We'll say, now, we got some new people, I'm sure, here this morning. Say, you say, what do you, well, what do you guys believe at Calvary Chapel St. Pete about dancing? Here's what we believe. And it's been our policy for years now, and it will continue to be our policy. We believe in regard to dancing in our church, some people can and some people can't. Uh, I got to move on, man. Listen to me. Listen to me. Uh, sometimes it's alcohol. And some people say, you know, it's wrong for any Christian to ever touch any kind of alcoholic beverage. That's a legalistic, that's a legalistic view. That's legalism. Okay? Jesus did not follow the religious standards of the day. As a matter of fact, he got in trouble time and time again by not doing so. His disciples didn't wash their hands before they eat. It wasn't a washing so much to cleanse dirt bacteria from their hands. It was a religious washing and they were teaching that if you don't do the religious washing every time before you eat, you're, you become defiled. You've committed sin. Jesus said to them, he said, you not only do those things, you wash pots and kettles in religious ways. And you think by washing them in this religious way, it's going to make the pot and what's in it holy. And he said, you do many things like that. Jesus did good on the Sabbath repeatedly. And every time he did, He got in trouble for it. One guy got healed by Jesus on the Sabbath. You know what the religious people said? You can come any other day. You six other days, you can come be healed. Not today. You talk about blindness. Blindness. I got to move on. Jesus was also the most joyful human being that ever visited the planet. Hebrews 1, 9 from a messianic statement, Psalm 45, verse 7. You've anointed me with the oil of joy. And those religious people, they didn't like that. Not only was he violating all their religious standards that had no basis for truth, but he was overflowing with joy in doing it. Matthew 12, 19 about the Messiah, Jesus. He will not quarrel or cry out. No one will hear his voice in the streets. That's an interesting verse. Second Timothy says that the servant of the Lord must not be quarrelsome, but that means more than not being quarrelsome. It means not being argumentative, and it means, listen, not being overbearing, no overbearing. It's very uncomfortable for me, and I don't agree with this method. I, I don't agree with standing with a bullhorn and shouting at people, you know, from a street corner. I just, it's just not, I just can't imagine Jesus doing that. I just can't imagine Jesus doing that. I saw a video this past week of uh, one of the Calvary chapels. And I'm, I'm sorry if they get wind of this and I, I'm not meaning to offend them or anything. I just don't agree with the tactic. I don't agree with it. And they, they filmed it. Somebody did it with their cell phone. They got the idea for this outreach thing where they saw driving by the DMV in the morning that before the DMV opened, there was a long line of people waiting for the DMV. Department of Motor Vehicles to open. And so they would go there and they would stand and read scripture and they have the whole thing videoed. And if it was me reading the scripture, I wouldn't have chosen that scripture. It just didn't come across uh, as real loving to me. I would have gone John three sixteen and maybe added my testimony or something. I'm not saying I know better than everybody else. Please don't misunderstand that. But I watched the thing. And after you watch for a few minutes, the guy comes up that's there at the DMV and he confronts the guy and he doesn't do it in a, in a, in a, a real negative way he just says sir you can't do that here you can't do that here you need to leave and the guy just kept on reading scripture 
A few minutes later, law officer showed up, told the guy to put his hands behind his back. He arrested him, took him off. I just think that's a shame because it was unnecessary. He should have left, in my opinion. He should have left. Never disobey an authority unless to obey means you would be disobeying God. Doesn't mean we go into all kinds of places as public property, government authority, property, and we say, well, I don't care what you say. I'm going to do it anyway. That's not what Jesus did. That's not what Jesus would do. So listen, let's not rip, misrepresent Jesus. We need to be careful and look carefully at what he's really like, what he's really like. He never forced himself. Last thing I'll say, I got to close. He never forced himself on anybody. He was never overbearing. He never, nobody ever felt like they're being shoved in their face. He never did that. Whosoever will, let him come. Whosoever will. Most uncomfortable people and the most blistering messages were to the Pharisees, teachers of the law, and the Sadducees, the religious hypocrites. Pray that God would open a door for the gospel. Paul said, pray for us that God would open a door. And if we pray for an open door, in God's time, he'll open the door. And he opens doors that no man can shut, and he shuts doors no man can open. Learn key verses to communicate truth. I'm going too long on this one. The gospel. That's our ultimate goal, to share the gospel. This is four great verses. Somebody's dubbed it the Romans road. Romans 3.23, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Romans 5.8, God demonstrates his love in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He doesn't say, get your act together. Get your act together. No. He says, come to me. Come to me. Believe in me. Trust in me. Follow me. He'll clean you up. He'll clean you up. He doesn't say, click your act together first. No. Isn't that why we were yet sinners? He died for us. And Romans 10, 9, if you confess with your mouth, believe in your heart, God has raised Jesus from the dead and he is Lord. He is Lord. You will be saved. And then learn other scriptures, especially prophecies that prove that Jesus is the Christ. Acts 17 and 18, Paul and Apollos, it specifically says, those they were debating with in places like the synagogue. It says they, from the scriptures, proved that Jesus was the Messiah. Those are Old Testament scriptures. One of the messages I did, and I only throw it out as a resource. There are other resources out here, but this one uh, message I did, you can find it from our website. It's called A Firm Foundation for Faith from Second Peter chapter 1. And you get there some great prophecies that prove that Jesus is indeed the Messiah. And then keep adding to your arsenal of scripture. Why? Because Peter says, always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have, but do this with gentleness and respect the way Jesus would. And last but not least, live the kind of life that'll gain respect from the world. There's some very, very clear scriptures here. First Thessalonians chapter four, verse nine. Now about your love for one another, we don't need to write to you for you yourselves have been taught by God to love each other. And in fact, you do love all of God's family throughout Macedonia. Yet we urge you brothers and sisters to do so more and more and to make it your ambition to lead a quiet life. You should mind your own business and work with your hands just as we told you so that your daily life may win the respect of outsiders and so that you will not be dependent on anybody. And then Titus chapter two and verse nine, very clear. Verse nine, 
Teach slaves to be subject to their masters and everything, to try to please them, not to talk back to them, not to steal from them, but to show that they can be fully trusted so that in every way they will make the teaching about our God, about our Savior, attractive, attractive. Peter put it simply like this. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. If our life doesn't reflect something of respect, why would they want to listen to us about our Jesus? And I have legal time to close this out. Back to Daniel one last time. You won't go over time. It's okay. They still have the food at the restaurant. Daniel chapter six. And I'm just going to summarize the story because most of us know it. Years have passed. Nebuchadnezzar has been toppled. Now the Medes and the Persians are ruling and Darius is the new king. Daniel is still given a position in Darius's government. But the other government officials, they want to get rid of Daniel. He's Jewish. It says that they could find, the middle of verse 4, no corruption in him because he was trustworthy and neither corrupt nor negligent. Finally, they said the only thing we're going to find about this guy is something that have to do with his God. And so they get a plot. They get a plan. They go to Darius. Hey, Darius, we think it'd be good for the next 30 days that anybody in, our, in your kingdom that prays to any other god except you should be thrown into the den of lions. Darius said, that sounds like a good idea. He puts it on the books. It's law. Law of the Medes and the Persians, once it's down, you can't change it. Even the one who made the law can't change it, can't be repealed. When the law was published and Daniel hears about it, he goes home. And he does what he normally does. Three times a day, he opens his windows toward Jerusalem and he prays. He kneels down and he prays. Well, these guys think we got him. They go to Darius. They say, you know that law you made? Well, hey, there's this Jew, Daniel. He's not not listening. He's bowing. He's praying to his God. Darius likes Daniel, so he's distressed. But they press him and he knows he has no choice. He has Daniel thrown into the den of lions. Darius goes home. He can't sleep all night. He comes back crack of day, goes to the mouth of the den, calls out, Daniel, was your God able to save you? If I was Daniel, I'd have waited a few seconds to answer. (laughs) Finally, Daniel says, oh, king, live forever. My God sent his angel and shut the mouths of the lions. They've not hurt me because I was found innocent in his sight. Nor have I ever done any wrong before you, your majesty. And you know what the result was? Very similar to Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Darius, verse 25, then wrote to all the nations and peoples of every language in all the earth, may you prosper greatly. I issue a decree that in every part of my kingdom, people must fear and reverence the God of Daniel, for he is the living God and he endures forever. His kingdom will never be destroyed. His dominion will never end. He rescues and he saves. He performs signs and wonders in the heavens and on the earth. He has rescued Daniel from the power of the lions. What God was able to do, because four people, four people, made themselves available, were courageous, and through their courage and their faith, what a tremendous witness went out to the world. 
The book of Acts details the birth of the church as we know it today. Before Jesus came, the only way to worship God was in a temple, with sacrifices at the ready and only speaking to him through another person. Jesus changed that. Now everyone has direct access to the King of Kings. We can speak to him through our prayers and even hear directly back from him in our own spirit. This is thanks to the gift of the Holy Spirit, who is received as soon as we give our lives to Jesus. Today, you too can have the Holy Spirit flowing through you and giving you the guidance and hope you desire. We'd love to tell you more about this. Send us a quick email at info at ccfstpete.church and we'll get back to you as soon as possible. You can connect with us on social media as well. Find The Living Word on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter and jump into the conversations there. Find links to all of these at our website, ccfstpete.church. Are you in the St. Petersburg area? We would love to meet you. Every message you hear on The Living Word comes from a teaching that Pastor Danny Hodges has shared at Calvary Chapel Fellowship and you're invited to join us for our weekly services. Our church is filled with imperfect people being made holy by our perfect creator, and we know that you'll fit right in. Find directions at our website. Again, that's ccfstpete.church. With that, our time with you has officially come to an end. Pastor Danny will lead us deeper into the book of Acts when you join us next time, right here on The Living Word.